0: Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7.
1: Sharon, you know, this is one of those podcasts that, you know, I'm pretty excited about. We've been talking about this for a while, and I think it's going to be a really good one today.
2: Oh, you have been talking about this for a while, and once I let you two go, I might have to take a water water hose to you to get (laughs) y'all apart.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, we're going to be talking today with John Apino, and am I saying that right? Appino. yes. Pino. Sir. Yeah. yeah, sometimes yeah. I want to say Appino, but I know it's Appino. Okay. Yeah. John Apino. And John, you're going to be talking today about contract review and negotiation. You know, this is kind of this is your bailiwick right here, man. I've talked to you on a number of occasions and and this is your jive. So tell us a little bit about you, your background and your company and then we'll kind of jump into it.
3: My name's John. I own a company called Contract Diagnostics. We've been around for over a decade and what we do is I would say simple, not easy. So we simply what we do is review we review contracts. So you know physicians, pas, NPs, CRNAs, they come out of school and they get contracts most of the time. and sometimes they're W two contracts or they're independent you know contractor agreements. and they get these documents and they're scientists, you know, they're clinicians. you know, they know what to do and how to treat a patient in a hospital but they might not know how to analyze a contract or how to talk with their potential employer about a contract or you know what's fair market for pay or how to negotiate things or what to do. So we have a company that very simply just takes a look at them and shares with the physician what it says, what it doesn't say, what's standard and not. You know, We coach them on how they can ask good questions. It doesn't have to be what should change or what's negotiable, but just how do they do due diligence on the agreement to make sure it's a good spot for them and their career and their family and their finances and everything else, so it's that simple. Now it's it's not easy. There's a lot of complex things on the back end that go into it from our perspective. But as you guys know, when you've been working on something for a decade, you know you you learn a couple of tricks of the trade. And uh, and I love doing these podcasts because it allows us to share some of those tricks with folks that listen. So yeah. Now,
2: John, what's your background that kind of shepherded? You to doing this? Yeah.
3: So I great great question. I I I should have said. So I am my undergraduate is in biology, microbiology, and chemistry. So I was a pre med major when I went to do my undergrad, and I wanted to be a physician. My mother was a physician for 36 years, and um, you know I I I thought that that was what I wanted to do. And you know um, three and a half four years in, I had uh, one of the physicians that my mother worked with that said, you know, uh, hey, we don't like our jobs. Go ahead and be, go back for computers. And this was, you know, back in, you know, 1998 or 1999, and uh, maybe that was would have been good advice back then. But I thought I've already been in school for a couple of years. I don't want to go back and start all over again. So what can I do? And and so I finished my undergrad with a pre-medical focus and uh, ended up not going to medical school. I went and did some work for pharmaceutical and biotech industries around. Uh, with I met a lot of great physicians. who worked on lots of great advertising campaigns. We did lots of contracting and. And I got exposure to a lot of different areas of medicine outside of patient care, and so as a lot of physician friends of mine, we had you know talked late at night over you know, you know challenges or pain points that they had with their jobs, and it seemed like a couple of things kept showing up as far as you know how they come out of training, how they handle the additional finances that they're given. Um, or that they've worked hard for. How do they manage a contract? How do they manage recruiters and finding a job? And how do they relocate and find a home? And there was all these things. And you know, I thought that the contract piece would be interesting because there wasn't really one national company that these folks could go to. So they could look up somebody online or go find a local attorney that may have worked with somebody on a DUI or something. And there was no like national brand they could just go to that specialized in contract reviews that understood compensation and could be a good coach. And so um uh, anyways, I, yada, yada, we create a company, we thought there was a need for it. And we found a great, uh, a great niche. So we've got great attorneys that work here. we've got fantastic compensation data. And um, we just overall don't operate like a law firm, of course, we don't get involved with those types of things. But we're a consulting firm that can guide a physician or a CRNA or a nurse practitioner on their contract and what they need to know about it.
1: Yeah, great. Yeah, I think there's definitely. A market out there for that, as you've obviously established. And, you know, of course, our our market and, and Sharon is a CRNA. You know, a lot of our listeners that are going to be listening to this are going to want to know from a CRNA standpoint, what does that mean? So, You know, we get a lot of questions with that because we have a lot of 1099 folks that come to us on the tax side who might have a contract and they say, you know, who do we turn to for this? You know, I don't know what this means. I mean, I'll give you a a perfect story. My wife is a CRNA as well, John, as I've told you, and she had a contract with a company, a 1099 company, and she was working and they lost their contract with a medical facility. And you know, unbeknownst to her, because she didn't run that contract by me, um, it's it had a non-compete in there, which was which was fine. You know, I mean that's standard protocol. But somehow, this non-compete led the new firm to believe that they could never hire back anyone who worked at that facility under the company that lost the contract. Yeah. So she loved working there. And according to the folks she was working for, it was only 12 months. But the way the new firm interpreted it was ever. And she has not been able to go back and do any work there at all. And, you know, unfortunately, that's kind of the way it was. And she's not one to kind of push the envelope like me. But, you know, I would have kind of pushed it. I mean, non-competes in North Carolina are probably pretty hard to enforce. But anyway, I digress. But so let's talk about, you know, what exactly is negotiable in a contract? And what have you seen out there?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's all dependent on the situation. You know, sometimes we'll see like a W-2 position, and they might have benefits you know they might have here's what the retirement plan looks like or when you can participate or you know here's what we have for medical insurance or what type of disability plan they might offer at the employer level and those things are generally not negotiable they're generally as you know i mean plan documents that they've negotiated for a group of phys- a group of employees that the crna would fall under and so sometimes those things aren't negotiable but there might be something negotiable inside of the benefits like uh, how much time off they would get compensation depending on the situation may or may not be negotiable you know sometimes they have a here's our blanket policy for everybody and then sometimes they say no we value things like tenure or experience or maybe a certain type of additional training you know or somebody who's willing to do a couple of different locations versus just one location there might be some things you could negotiate as far as you know around compensation they may be able to negotiate the you know non-compete to your point earlier. if they have one, you know what's the radius and how is it enforced and how many locations is it and you know is there a buyout provision that they could you know institute So the non-compete may be negotiable. There might be something around tail insurance or malpractice insurance and how that's provided and you know what happens on termination for that so and then of course there's just what's the expectation around the schedule. So if a cRNA is going to work you know a full-time 40 hour week, what does that look like? if they're going to work shifts, you know, how many are those? Is that included in the agreement or not? And is that something that could be negotiable on what the expectations are for particular shift work, or how many they are, or what kind of language would be in the agreement as far as documenting it all? Because, you know, it's one thing to be told what you may or may not do once you get there. It's one thing to have it in the actual agreement,
1: of course. Right, right. Sharon, I saw you getting ready to ask something there. So I was going to jump in, but I'm going to let you go.
2: So you've talked about a lot of different things. What is best to negotiate of all the things that you talked about and who should you talk to and give us some feedback and how to ask those questions. And
3: Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. And, and I don't want to keep saying it all depends, but it, it does depend on the actual, you know, act of the actual story. Right. So, one thing that I know, you know, there's some organizations where they might take a contract that a CRNA submits, you know, either send it to an outsourced provider, even sometimes offshores, like to the Philippines, they might send it to Redline and highlight and send it back to the provider. We don't feel like that's the best thing to do. We have conversations with people because there's that story. So if somebody's moving somewhere for one year to support a spouse, as they're completing a fellowship of their own before they move you know, clear across the country, maybe the non-competes irrelevant and they could care less. Right. You know, Maybe they don't even care so much about compensation. They care about tail insurance because that could be a significant cost when they might leave. Maybe they don't care that the 401k doesn't start for a year or how much vacation they have because they're just there to check a box for a year as they support their spouse as they finish training. And then, of course, you could have a completely opposite side of, side of that, where you're going to be there forever, you know, and the non-compete does matter because your spouse maybe works in town or you grew up there and there's a competing group that you feel might be better. And maybe you're not worried about the tail insurance because you plan on retiring from the practice. So each story is a little bit different as far as like, you know, what's more important. We always tell folks that we work with to look at the contract as kind of like a set rule of expectations. So I sometimes use the example if I'm going to sell my home and you guys can think of hundred examples on your business, but if I'm going to sell my house, I can say, you know, what are the expectations? Well, on, uh, on this particular date, I will leave my house, you know, and you will, you know, take possession of it and you will give me this much money. That's the expectation, right? And now if there's differing expectations, I'm going to leave the drapes, I'm going to leave the TV, I'm going to leave the patio furniture or the barbecue outside. Those expectations are built into the contract. So then if I leave, and I don't leave the barbecue or I don't leave the TV. Now they say, hey, wait a second, we agreed to this. And it says right there. And so, same thing with an agreement, whether it's for, you know, it's different for an independent contractor as it might be for a W 2, but to make sure that those expectations are clear and a position for a CRNA. And I think, again, it's, it's simple. What's the CRNA going to do? They're going to give the organization their time and their expert opinion and what is the organization going to do for the crna they're going to provide them with compensation and then maybe benefits depending on what type of deal it is and those things should be very clear in an agreement so if it if the compensation is vague you'll be paid you know uh, per policy well that's not good you know we need to know what the policy says is it an hourly rate is it a shift rate is it a salary same thing with vacation right and then the same thing with the schedule so you know you're working a minimum 40 hours a week might not be what you want with minimums. You know, maybe you want, it says Monday through Friday, eight to five general business hours. Maybe it should say something about call and how much call they're going to take. Mm -hmm. And what happens if somebody steps away from the practice to have a child or, you know, or they just quit, they leave or they retire. What happens if the call pools five people and now all of a sudden it's three people because one's out with a baby and one, one quit. So having the expectations on your schedule and your compensation, I think are very important for everybody. So those would be things that I would say would be most important from just a a global perspective, but I think it's important that they do due diligence on the entirety of the deal, but more so that equation for my expectation of you is you give me money and benefits. The expectation that you can have of me is I'll give you my time. And then those things should be very, very clear. So on the who to speak with, it varies so much by account again. Sometimes it's a recruiter, sometimes... It's a, you know, a uh, an administrator. Sometimes it's a small group and you're working with you know, maybe an anesthesiologist. You know, that's the lead of the group that's going to hire the CRNA. It might be a locums company that you're going to ask the questions on if they've got a contract with the facility or one of the major, you know, one of the big players, a private equity players that might be hiring somebody. So I always say who the person to talk to is those who make decisions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't, I don't think talking to the attorneys on their side is beneficial because the attorneys aren't going to know how they set compensation or how it might change over time. Their lawyers aren't going to know anything about the schedule and what happens if somebody takes off and, and goes, you know, to a different facility, how do they handle that gap in the roles as far as filling that those, that person's shifts. So I don't think the attorney is a good spot. You know, HR can be for some things, but maybe not on compensation or about scheduling, Um, So I tend to say, who's the decision maker? And that's usually like a medical director or the president of a group. Sometimes the recruiter knows all those things and they can be a good sounding board. They just might not be a decision maker to say, if you wanted something changed to say, and I want this changed, can you do it? They may say, I don't know. I'll have to go ask. And then of course we, we worry about that. I tell the recruiter my story, the recruiter goes and tells somebody else how accurate is my sales pitch to the recruiter when they give it to whomever the decision-maker is. So um, I think there's a lot of people as the CRNA navigates the account as far as how they do due diligence, but I think that those questions are vital and super important in every situation, whether you're just gonna be there for a year and move or whether you're gonna be there long-term. There's a lot of questions that should be asked of of somebody taking a position.
1: John, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, it it is dramatically different for someone who's taking a W-2 position versus a 1099 position. You know, what I've historically told folks to think about, especially if they're transitioning from a W-2 to 1099, is make a list of bullet points. Number one, what's important to you? Why are you doing this? Why are you transitioning from W-2 to 1099? Just make those bullet points and, and just put them out. And then those are the important things that you know, things that are important to you. And I'm listening to you talk, and you're saying kind of the same thing, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. what's important to you? Well, it it might be, like you said, that they, they're just going to be there six months or a year, and, you know, they know they're going back to California, and they're coming to North Carolina for six months or a year. Non-compete within the state doesn't really matter to them. Right. Um, but there might be someone like my wife who lives around here, and she drove 10 minutes to the facility, and a non-compete to her was a big deal. So you've really got to define what is important to you in your situation. Do you have like a, just for lack of a better term, kind of a one sheet or bullet points of things that people should be thinking about? Or is that you just say, it it. hey, hand us the, the contract and we'll review it and we'll get to know you and we'll do all that due diligence. Um, and then we'll ask you the right questions. How does it work with you guys?
3: Yeah, we've got a lot of different things that we can share. I could actually send some over to you as far as some of the, you know, like, you know, maybe things to keep. I think we have like a like a top 10 list to look out for. I think we have a yeah. five red flag things to keep an eye out for. We have other backgrounders on how to ask benefit questions or how to ask questions regarding compensation. Okay. Um and uh we've we've got one that talks about the differences between 1099 and W2 work as far as what they should keep an eye out for. So I can send all that kind of stuff uh, to you guys and you guys can put it up online or shoot yeah. it out to your folks or, you know, publish it online, whatever you want to do with it. But yeah, there are some basic, you know, kind of core things that we feel you could you know, look out for in terms of like a red flag in an in account. Um, but as far as like, how do they, you know, and of course, if there's a red flag, that should definitely be addressed by the CRNA. But as far as like what's important to them, it just, I, I think it's important to you, to your point to say, I want to reflect and think, Do would, would I rather have more time off or would I rather have uh, more money? Uh, would I rather have more flexibility with my schedule to be with my children if I've got young children, or um, would I rather work a ton and pay off some of my student loans or mm-hmm. go on more vacations? You know, with extra income or help a family member out or a charity. So I think it's important that they define kind of what their individual goals are as as a a spouse, as a uh, as a uh, as a parent, as a worker, as a you know fill in the blank, and then kind of make sure that the contract aligns with those needs. Whether that's based on flexibility and schedule or location, geographical preference, or if it's around compensation and, or, you know, maybe you're very, you know, you want a 1099 job because you don't want a W2 because you've got, you know, some ideas with how you want to structure your tax situation as an individual, you know, Um, all those things that you guys can help with to be very proactive in some of that, I think is important to know um, and have each each individual CRNA define that for themselves. Yep.
2: Actually, that sounds a lot like what you do, Jeremy, but you do it around retirement and those kinds of things. But it sounds like the same questions. And I know it's got to be a struggle sometimes for you guys, because you people might not know exactly what they want. It's kind of like me and decorating. I know what I don't want, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know what I do want sometimes.
1: Right, right. Well, it's shared, you know, that point, I mean, it comes from one experience to from doing it over and over again and asking the right questions. You know, I think that's the key. And you always pick on me that, you know, I'm I'm part advisor and, you know, part psychiatrist and psychologist. And, you know, you've got to be you've got to get to know people and, you know, what what's important to them and so forth. Yeah.
3: Well, it's the same thing. They don't a lot of people don't know options. Right. You know, so if we're talking around, like somebody might send me a contract and say, John, they said it's non negotiable. Do I even need to have you look at it? Or they might say, um, they said the compensation is the the salary of whatever, uh, $200,000 a year is non negotiable. It doesn't make any sense if I offer them or if I even have a conversation around finances or money, which I would disagree with because we have all kinds of options and ideas and we can be creative, even if you can't come off with a $200,000 salary. I can provide 15, 20, 30 questions that they could ask around compensation and maybe even like an escalator clause. So we guarantee that you get to 250 by year three. And so the same thing with your business, Jeremy. Like people don't even, they might not know that they have options. What are the options? Nothing. I make an income, I pay my taxes, and I go about my business. And they don't know that there's, I mean, the tax code is. Thirty billion pages, or whatever it is, and if, if without a professional to lead you on what they need to know and how they could structure things in a creative and unique way, um, they don't know. So that's why it's it's important that these high income earners have lots of people on their team. One that we always recommend is somebody like yourself.
0: Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, twenty five percent of people will file a disability claim. And most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call them at 504-394-6557.
1: Well, how do you, I mean, speaking of pay, we talked a lot about pay and, you know, I know one of the things that that you guys do as well is um, you will define that for your clients if they're being paid fairly or not. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah.
3: um, It's hard to know what you're worth. You know, you might talk to some friends. That say they made X or Y, you know, or their contract is for this or their salary is that. But it's not always apples to apples. You know, somebody going to LA is dramatically different than somebody going to rural Ohio. And, you know, somebody who's working, you know, who has, you know, eight weeks of vacation might be different than someone who has six weeks of vacation. So it's hard to compare just finances. Um, there might be differences in benefit analysis that aren't taken into account at a salary position or at a, you know, an hourly rate on a 1099. Knowing the differences between a 1099 hourly rate and what that equates to on a salary position is something that's important that most people don't understand either. But there, it's hard to find good data. So you can go online and you can search for it. And, you, you know, Doximetry has some data. Um, there's MGMA or, you know, AMGA or Sullivan Cotter—they all there's all these published data sets that cost tens of thousands of dollars, and they're fine, but you know there's still survey bias, and if there's still delays. So you know if I'm a, a cardiologist and I made a million eight last year, or an orthopedic surgeon who made two and a half million, I'm probably not going to take a survey to tell people how much I made. Right, you know, right. Um, and the surveys don't take into account someone who works 0. 0.4, or 0.8, or 1.2 FTEs, and plus they're delayed. So, you know, a survey that's that we use now, we, we could use MGMA, for example, but it's 2020 data that was just published this year, and so we're looking at you know the the pandemic year as far as how we're setting compensation for a 2021 data year, and then of course next year will be will be this year that we're living now. So there's always a delay and you don't have ever real time. So it doesn't reflect market dynamics. Um, You know, so things like COVID are delayed as far as how they're reported and when the data comes to light. Um, You know, when we see supply demand curves for different specialties for what we do, and if you look at just the data, the national data sets, that. Th- those supply and demand curves aren't reflective for one or maybe two years until after we've seen them so mm-hmm. having somebody help you analyze the compensation structure to know if it is fair and then of course how to question it whether or not it's negotiable is uh, is super important and then I, you know and I see these stats all the time and something like i think what did i see i said 38% of providers so they're lumping CRNAs NPs PAs and MDs DOs into a bucket and they're saying 38% of them haven't had any adjustments in pay, upward adjustment in pay in, uh, I think, the last four years. And then if you survey folks and you say, what percent of providers are going to be looking for a job in the next you know, two years? And it's over 50%. And you look at how many people transition out of their first position after training, it's 56 to 62%, depending on which stat you look at. So you take all those things together and, you know, I mean, if someone loved their job and they felt they were being paid fairly, they wouldn't be looking at other jobs, you know, and if, you know, and, and any, especially we're talking now about inflation and people aren't getting raises in you know, two, three, four plus years. So I think it's very important to have your uh, compensation analyzed, not just as you sign your contract, but on an ongoing basis. And then as you're analyzing it to have good data and good people that you can rely on for, what's typical, what's normal. And then of course, how to have that conversation with the with the employer or the contracting entity.
2: So I'm hearing that you guys do that too, in addition to contracts.
3: Yeah, that's what we specialize in. I mean, we look at the contract and we can tell them kind of what's typical and normal, but yeah, I mean, providing compensation data and a coaching on how to discuss their situation with that employer is that's what we spend a lot of our time doing. Yeah.
2: Wow. That's pretty cool. So whenever you are getting Contracts to look at. Are there some red flags that just right, right at you whenever you're looking at somebody's contract? They've asked you to review.
3: Yeah, I think if those expectations that we talked about earlier aren't clear, you know, the your compensation or what they're going to do for you, or your time or what you're going to do for them. I think if those things aren't clear, either in a contract or in a policy manual somewhere that you've reviewed, um, we think that that should be definitely clarified if there's portions such as a non compete, you know, like post termination provisions, like a non compete, what happens if tail insurance, what happens if you don't work there? Those things need to be very very clear in the document. And if those things aren't clear or if they're just not referenced, of course, that would be a red flag as well. Most of the time we see no cause terminations in contracts, that just says that, you know, the CRNA can put their notice in whenever they want to. Here's my 30 days or my 90 days notice. I don't want to work for you anymore. And if there isn't one of those in the contract, obviously the individual needs to know how they can terminate the relationship if they if they want to move on to a new role. Mm-hmm. So those things need to be you know included with a defined notice period, uh, or we would consider that not typical and not normal. So you know benefits not being in the contract, that's not a flag we don't see that often. Um, but I would want access to a benefit manual if there was a W two position with benefits offered. Mm-hmm. Um, I would throw another one out there, I guess. Maybe if the hiring entity or the employer, if you will, is not not open with a discussion, you know, they just kind of give you this sign the contract and send it back. It's not negotiable and we're not going to discuss it. Again, just because it's not negotiable doesn't mean that that the provider shouldn't have, you know, 20, 30, 40 questions on it to make sure that they understand the the expectations. So um, I think if the hiring entity or the employer is not open with information, uh, I would consider that to be a red flag as well.
1: Well, you know, Sharon, the ANA does the compensation and benefits study each year. Um, And and obviously, we get that data, we take a look at it. And, you know, we use that to kind of gauge where we are and where we've been. But the the one thing that reoccurs to me each year as I look at that data is there's a 1000 people or less that have taken Mm -hmm. that Uh, That survey and is that really representative of what's going on around the country for the almost sixty thousand CRNAs out there? So, John, to your point, you're right. I mean, getting the data is hard, and some of that is has got a lot of subjectivity in it, based upon the bias that's in the survey and so forth. And um, it kind of leads me to another question, then, and that is: Should all agreements be reviewed? Or you kind of mentioned earlier, you know, I mean. I can't change anything, you know, just, I'm just going to go with it. To me that it would just kind of lend itself that all agreements at least should be reviewed because if you're going to sign something and you really don't know what that means, that doesn't seem like really good business to me.
3: Yeah. We feel that everything, I mean, if you're going to go to the VA, you know, and that's where you're going to call home, I I don't think that anybody needs to pay to have, you know, the whatever one or two page agreement that the VA sends out reviewed. You know, I've seen some people go to like Kaiser Permanente, and we've seen their contracts quite a bit, and they're they're fine. Um, you know, I don't know that they need to have those reviewed, but there are a couple of things in there that we would point out to a physician. But they definitely don't take us as long as a typical contract review. But I think everything else should be reviewed, whether it's a three page you know letter from an academic center, or whether it's a you know seven to thirty five page contract, whether a W two or an independent contractor deal. These CRAs, I mean, yeah, they're going to make millions of dollars over their career. And to sit there and and think I'm, I shouldn't pay a couple of hundred dollars to get some good questions to see if this is a good space, a good place to land my skill set. I think they're just missing. I think, and there's also risk, right? I mean, you talked about, you know, the ability of not to work if there's a non-compete or if something's not clear, or maybe you didn't ask, you know, maybe it's not, it's clear to you. You think it's clear in the agreement. One person interprets it a different way. The other person interprets it a different way. You know how do you make sure that you you have good questions as a provider to go to them before that's all signed and say these are my questions around this section um, and tail insurance can be tens of thousands of dollars and that's a, a costly mistake that we've seen too many people make without knowing it um, because they thought it's just my first agreement I'll have my next one looked at or they yeah. told me it's non negotiable so I didn't even have anybody look at it and now they're trying to go back and say I don't remember if I had to buy my tail and they have to buy it. And it's $10,000, 60000 that they didn't anticipate. And that can be a costly mistake to somebody at any point in their career, especially an early career physician or a CRNA as it may be.
0: Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com.
2: So what are some trends that you're seeing in contracts right now?
0: Again, it depends if
3: it's like a 1099 contract or if it's a W-2 contract. Because you know, 1099 contracts, the the entity needs to be careful on what they put in there. You know, they can't. There typically isn't things like minimum number of hours because you're just a contractor. They can't hold you to that. You know, and things might be a little different, like in an independent contractor. But like in W-2 positions, we're starting to see some places that'll say as far as like a termination. So most contracts, 97 percent or so, have no cause terminations. And that just allows the physician or the cRNA to leave the job if they want to. Uh, No different than somebody who is a barista at a coffee shop, they give their two weeks notice and they're on to the next position. And medicine is typically, you know, 60 to 120 days is a typical no-cause termination uh, provision. Um, We have seen a trend that might say after the initial term, either party can terminate with say 60 days. And so now they can terminate with 60 days but it might only be after the initial term. So then they need to figure out, well, what's the initial term? Is it one year? Is it two years? Is it three years? And if it's three-year term and the contract says after the initial term, can they even leave before the initial term is up, which is three years? So to go back to the point, if you're supporting a spouse, you want to work somewhere for a year or two and you have an after the initial term of three years, you can leave. Now we don't know how you can leave if it's prior to three years. So there's some of those things that we're seeing as far as trends go. I don't know if it's just a, a function of you know the supply and demand curves and the shift that they've had happen with people retiring and you know the pandemic you know shoved more people into retirement than they than they thought. we haven't seen anything in contracts yet. Um, and I don't know that we will about you know staffing shortages at hospitals as we see contracts that mentions policies and procedures. We always tell everyone it's important to understand the policies and procedures. Uh, most of the time, I would assume policies would mean like social media policies or if there might be a dress code policy or, you know, you don't smoke cigarettes on the hospital property or something. But, you know, of course, now we're hearing, you know, what about a, a vaccine policy? You know, so those are things that people you know, might hear and they don't think through, and maybe they have a passion around one way or another. And if you want to be at a place that does or does not have a man- mandate. And so, again, those things might be included in a policy manual that, is a, that might be referenced briefly in a contract. So those are some of the things that we're seeing. We're starting to see student loans come back as um, that public service loan forgiveness program changes right. all the time as yep. the pandemic ends and the administration starts to talk about reducing the, you know more about this stuff than I do, yeah. uh, reducing the, um, what is it called? The um, the holiday on student loan repayments or something. Right. We're seeing more student loans come back into the mix depending on the situation. So some of those are some of the trends that we're seeing though.
1: Yeah, and I would say, you know, where we are today, you know, I, I think that also one of the things that we see is a lot of times when you're interviewing for a new position, you don't want to alienate the person that you could potentially be working for. So I've I've heard CRNA say, uh you know, I just don't want to push back on this. And, you know, I really want this job. And, you know, I've seen them sign things that they probably shouldn't have. And, you know, I think, especially in this environment, when we've got this supply demand imbalance, CRNAs out there should know that really, I mean, in most cases, the, the CRNA or the physician is in the driver's seat because there is a shortage out there. Um, mm-hmm. And you should be looking after yourself and you should be doing these things. And John, to your point, you know, I think, what you guys charge for what you do is much cheaper than I could send someone upstairs in my building and have this prestigious law firm that's in our building, take a look at their contract. You know, I think you guys do a great job because that's what you specialize in and what you do. And I would just say that it is, it is very well warranted to understand what you're getting into when you're signing an agreement like that.
3: Yeah, and I would never deter anyone from going to a you know a, a, a state specific attorney. I think they'd get fantastic advice on the contract and the legal implications of it. But those attorneys, they just don't understand compensation, and they're not going to coach the CRNA on how to have that conversation. Right, and that's what we specialize in. So to your point, you know, it, you don't want to upset the hiring entity that might be your future boss. There's all types of soft ways to ask questions that might be daunting to somebody who's never done it before, right. but with the right frame and with the right coach, which we would have here at Contract Diagnostics, um, it may, we can make it so much easier for them to have what they may deem to be a difficult conversation much more of a, of a learning process for them with the employer or the contracting entity on things like compensation or around risk mitigation or around questions that they might have. So yeah, it's, um, as as you know, it's, it's not only what you ask, but how you ask. right and um, that's what we love doing is coaching people on the how do you ask as far as uh, as far as our process goes.
2: So you've talked about kind of a cost structure a couple of times. Um, how much would a CRNA have to pay to have a contract review? And I know that's variable based on the but. Just yeah.
3: Well, everything that we do is flat priced here, you know, and so our most popular package is a little over $700. Um, and they get compensation data, they get phone calls with us, they get access. So as they have that conversation, we don't charge them, you know, 15 minutes or off of yeah, whatever right. the well, the rate right. when they email us. It's just a flat fee and they've got access to us. So they can, we have the initial conversation with them, give them some guidance and advice, and then they have access to us for phone calls, for emails, for everything after that they ha- that they might have followed with. You know, I asked them this and they said that. They said that they would change this. They said they wouldn't change that. What do you think? And so we can give them that ongoing advice, as I think is most important. And that's a little over $700. That's all flat priced. I think it does include compensation data. And the great thing that we have is for people in training, they can do what we call flex pay. So they can put, I think it's 200 bucks down, and then it just charges them 100 bucks a month for five months. So, if they're not making you know CRNA money, they can still afford to have a good contract reviewed by using our Flexpay system. And then we have a cheaper pa- we have a more expensive package where we can if the CRNA doesn't want to have that conversation with the employer, we can take their questions, concerns, and go to the employer and help them document that, kind of like kind of like their scribe almost. And that's a more expensive package. Um, and then we have a cheaper package called the basic review, and it's four hundred and forty forty bucks, I think that there's no compensation data with that. It's just the one phone call and the discussion and the coaching session. and then we kind of say good luck. Um, and so I think either of those two packages would be great. We always generally recommend the advanced review just because you do get compensation data. so it makes having that conversation different when you say I have data. and it does allow you access to us. So our job is to coach you and how to have that conversation. And most people, want to run that conversation by us. I said this, and they said that. I said, will you? And they said, yes or no. Do you think this is okay? What's typical? Should I be concerned? Um, and so having that access to us for the back and forth can be very important. But yeah, you know, 400 bucks to 700 bucks-ish you know, ish is what our rates are. And it's all flat price. So they don't have to worry about are there any extra fees or being nickel and dimed or any of that kind of stuff. So it's a pretty smooth process.
1: Yeah. and And then, John, if they ever have a a problem with that contract? I mean, do they come back to you guys or what happens at that point? Well, I think it would depend on how you define
3: problems. So if they need like legal advice, they're looking for like, I've got a problem with my employer. We would, of course, send them to a state-based attorney. Right. Um, But sometimes they just call and they say, hey, you know, they said that call was this and they're asking me to do call like this. What should I do? And we can provide them, you know, like here's how you can go to the employer and have that conversation. You know, here's how you can share with them your your feelings or your thoughts. Um, maybe it's, hey, I don't have any problem with my job, but I haven't had a raise in four years or five years. Well, we can, here's how you can go to them, you know? So I think the, I think it would depend on what the problem is. If yeah. they think that you need to get lawyers involved and have litigation and all that, that's nothing that we want to do with. We want to send that to a state-based attorney, but anything that has to do with, you know, how do I have this conversation or is this typical or what do I do? You know, How do, they said, I, I can't do this or I can do this. How should I ask them in a different way? All that, of course, we love we love to keep in touch with people and do whatever we can to help them.
1: Right. Okay. All right. Good. That's good. Sharon, do you have any more uh, questions before we hit the lightning round with John? Ooh. Oh, I
2: think he's covered a lot of ground. Great has. questions. So, well, I do have one more. Let's say that I have had a long standing relationship with an employer and I have a contract in place. You would also help me renegotiate that if I hired you?
3: Yeah. Yeah, we love doing that. You know, we have we have uh, folks that we've worked with, you know, two, three years ago, four years, five years ago, that'll call us back and say um, and we've got some some great case studies on some of those as well, um, and they'll kind of update us. Here's where I'm at on my my status with the employer or the entity. Here's my production numbers. Here's what I'm doing for committee work, if applicable, and we can go back and review the original contract. Um, if they're not offering addendum, sometimes an employer will offer an addendum, and maybe the contract stays the same. They just change two or three sections, maybe around compensation and uh, and something else. But yeah, we love to do those; those are fantastic, and we've got some very good success stories as far as you know helping a physician obtain a big jump in raise, depending on you know their situation.
2: Mm. So. One more question, um, and this might put you on the spot just a little bit, but I'm sure that you're compiling your data points based on people that you service yes so whenever i was aana president we had gotten the data that a male crna makes eighteen thousand dollars a year on average more than female crnas so do you factor that into your conversations with female crnas knowing that most of us will devalue ourselves i guess you could say
3: yeah great question in our slide deck that we give, we give presentations to you know schools, residency programs, um, associations, and in our slide deck we have a a few slides around being paid fairly, um, whether it's male female or whether it's you know you're on a on an immigration waiver or you're a U.S. citizen, and so yeah, we've got some really good information and statistics on it. Um, I hadn't seen the 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 CRNA one. That's interesting. I'm not surprised. But yeah, again, we think everyone should be paid fairly. And we would coach everyone to have a conversation around compensation. Some females might need a different frame, if you will, on how to have that conversation than a male. But uh, we bring it up on calls, you know, like, hey, you know the stats, you know, you know you need to ask. And, um, and we do whatever we can to make sure that we guide them and coach them to, uh, to have that question. But it's something that is real, unfortunately, and it's all the more reason. And the thing is, sure, we know this. You know, right. it's been published, right? And we've, I mean, it's there, we, we have a study back to 1976. They've been talking about discrepancies in pay. Um, so it's well known. So to accept a, here's our contract sign, it doesn't make any sense. And that's why everything should be questioned. Even if it's non-negotiable, it should be questioned on how does it change over time? When was the last time it changed? What metrics are looked at when they change compensation? Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All those are great questions without even asking for more money. So
2: Right. Well, I always say that the answer is always no if you don't ask.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it is there true. That is true. All right, Sharon, lightning round. Hit him up.
2: My favorite part. If you could have dinner with someone alive or dead, who would it be?
3: Alive or dead. Uh, maybe Marcus Aurelius. Oh,
2: well, there you go. All
3: right. I want to know why.
2: Yeah, I knew that was coming.
3: I could see it, us. I think it'd just be fascinating. Um, you know, um, just the things that I've read that he's written, I think it'd be fascinating. And the time that he lived in, uh, I'm fascinated with. I think uh, there's just so many things that, you know, you look back to that era and how they dealt with problems and how, you know, some of the Stoics viewed life and, and, and death, if you will, I think it'd be fantastic to have a conversation with him all
1: these years later. It's awesome. So, what do people often get wrong about you, John? That I'm a big city guy,
2: huh. N- uh, instead of being from South from
1: Dakota.
3: South Dakota? From South Dakota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. South yeah they think you must be like a New York guy or a Chicago guy. Um, and uh, I, there's probably not a lot of six-three Italians walking around South Dakota. That's true, but. <laughs> You know that I I am definitely
2: don't have that accent. No, not at all. If if, if you if you drink, does your your accent come out?
3: I hope not, (laughs) but I don't know.
2: Listen, both of my son in laws are Midwestern boys, so they both have that. Yeah, there you go. So I like that accent,
1: (laughs) and he likes yours, Sharon. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I love it. I think it's awesome.
2: Yeah, that's the right thing to say. Yeah, right. So, what's your favorite word that you can say on the podcast?
3: <laughs> my favorite word—that's tough. I would say I could be generic and say the, the, my favorite word would be yes, because who doesn't love saying yes? Yeah, I like um, that. But if I if I had to frame it differently, I would say maybe. Um, like experiences, life experiences are things that I love to, to, uh, to talk about and uh,
1: discuss. Hmm. All right, John, if you won the lottery, what would you do? Does anybody know that I won the lottery? Well, you know, <laughs> it depends on your state, John. We'll go back to your know. industry. You know, in North ask. Carolina, you have to, you have to disclose it, but you won 500 million and no, if you don't no, have to disclose it. What would you do?
3: If nobody knows. Yeah. I would do nothing different. I'd probably work a little less, but I do love what I do. Yeah. I don't think I'd, I, I have a Toyota 4Runner. It's fantastic. I don't think I'd buy another car. Yeah. You know, um, I think I'd do everything the same. I think I would feel guilty because that's a, that's a big burden to, yeah. to, to handle. Um, I think I'd be, a, I'd be generous as can be with it. And um, knowing that you can't help everybody, I would do whatever I could. If nobody knew, I would do my, I would do everything in my power to keep it tight under wraps. And Are I, you an
2: Italian Catholic? You sound like you got that guilt thing from the it's, sister. No,
3: it's <laughs> not about that. Just, that's just a I my wife will talk about it sometimes. To me, that's a burden that I would never want. You know, yeah. having that kind of generational wealth, it would just be to me, it'd be burdensome. You know, yeah. and it would just change so much the relationship that you would have with your friends and your family. Because you're not you anymore. You're They think that you're somebody else because you have something like that. It's just a. I'm on. I sit on the board of three different nonprofits, and I. It would be knowing that we have difficult decisions to make with the limited resources. If you had seemingly unlimited resources, I think it would be just as challenging because you couldn't. You couldn't give to everybody. You couldn't help everybody, and you still have to be purposeful with what you would do with it. Yeah, no, your phone would ring way too much, and my phone rings plenty already.
1: So
2: <laughs> it may ring more after this podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah.
1: That's right. Well, John, uh, you know, we really want to thank you for being on today. Obviously, great need for what you do, and you do it well. And we really want to thank you for that, and uh, appreciate all you're doing out there to help people out. And uh, Sharon. I think it's a wrap. I think so. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and
2: Sharon Pierce.
1: If you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow?
2: Well, the best way is to leave us a review, but make it
1: positive. There's enough negativity out there.
2: Absolutely. Tell all your friends about us. Share the podcast. And we are in the top 50 medical podcast in the country. And we want to go to what, Jeremy?
1: I say number one, Sharon.
2: Yeah, well, you know, we got to go past 10.
1: Uh, Yeah, that is true. true. But I'm going to go from 50 to 1, you know. I don't even want to stop at 10, you know.
2: See, I'm from the era where being a 10 was a good thing. Oh, (laughs) there you go.
1: There you go. I like that. That was a good one. All right. Until next time.
2: It's a wrap.
0: as a crna you spend years preparing yourself for this career so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn the best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance we've known disability income specialist robert smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 crnas over multiple decades He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself, and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families.